preach the word of God. And I want to be able to start this morning on this new series uh, that we're launching here at South Suburban. We actually did an intro to it last week. And this series really is focusing on four, you could call them bedrocks of the New Testament church. And I'm sure that as you entered the worship center this morning, you probably noticed the banners that are hanging on the sides here, and we have those in the front as well. And kind of wanted to explain that uh, intentional decision as well. When you are in a season of transition, the easiest thing to get your eyes on is what has changed. The most important thing to get your eyes on is where God is leading you. And so we wanted to have these in here just as a visible reminder. There are four biblical, foundational, built on Jesus Christ himself, core principles that we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. And uh, we're going to start that today. Uh, We're going to take these one at a time. And so this morning, uh, I wanted to be able to start as we talk about pursuing God. So Jesus stood in front of thousands of disciples throughout his ministry. And he spoke words of compassion and grace. He spoke words of love and mercy. But he also spoke words that were bold. They were audacious words. They were words that challenged the culture of the day. They were words that challenged the religion of the day. They were words that cut to the heart and they brought conviction to those who heard. In fact, after one of those instances, Scripture says that many of Jesus' followers found his words too difficult to handle, and they chose to not follow him anymore. And Jesus turned to his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 67, and he said, do you also want to stop following me? It's a great question. Simon Peter stood up, spoke for the rest of the disciples, and he said, Lord, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. I think it's important for us to recognize that in this day and age, we could turn to a lot of different places or different people or a lot of different paths in our life, and yet it's still true today that the only place that you and I will find life is in following after Christ, pursuing God. Only God breathes life into humanity. He did it at creation, and he still does it today. So as we begin the series, I want to talk to you today about seeking after that source of life and joy and strength in this world. I want to talk about that place where we find our identity and our calling that we referenced last week. It's in pursuing God. So in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, pursue God. He knew, just like Simon Peter did, that in him you will find life. And in fact, the words that Jesus actually used are seek first. And you'll find them in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you. Now, in the verses leading up to this passage, Jesus had been addressing some genuine concerns that the people of the day had. Now, as we read them today, it almost sounds a little bit odd, but they were talking about what will they eat and what will they wear. 
Now, I say that sounds odd, but that's typically the conversation that my kids have early in the morning as soon as they wake up. Can I get an amen from the parents? Right? What are we going to eat today? Or what am I wearing today? But the, the concerns that Jesus was addressing in this moment were actually legitimate concerns about provision. So it wasn't so much of... Um, what will I go to the cupboards and pull out to eat today? It was, where will I find food? It wasn't a question of, when I go to my closet, which outfit will I pick to wear today? It was a genuine question of, how will I find provision for clothing? So they were genuine concerns that they were talking about that Jesus was addressing here. Daily needs of provision. And yet Jesus paused for a moment, acknowledging the legitimacy of these concerns, and yet he said there was something greater. Jesus exalted something over these concerns. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Jesus said far more important was God's will, his purposes, and a relationship with him. This comes first. Jesus said. So the word first in, this, in verse 33 here is the Greek word proton, and we may have heard that word before in a science class, but in the Greek, this word proton means first in order of importance. It holds the highest place in all of our affections. It's above all else. It's more than anything. It's first. See, there are many things in life that need our attention. Can I get an amen on that? There are numerous things in our life that need our attention. And Jesus does not say seek only, but he does say seek first. See, I believe God knows that there will be other things that you need to pay attention to. They're necessary things. They're good things. Jesus said all these things, but the kingdom is most important, so that your first priority every day is to seek the Lord, to seek his will in a life that honors him. And so I want to take a moment here as we continue to look at this passage, and I want us to give our full attention to the word seek, because that is what Jesus is asking us to do. The word Jesus used here is the Greek word zeteo, and it means to desire to strive, to aim for, to pursue. And I want you to notice two things in particular about seeking God this morning. The first one is that it involves an active pursuit. Not just allowing life to come to you, but rather pursuing it, going after God. When my kids were younger, I would experience this on a regular basis, this pursuit of the father, because they were really excited to see their dad when he got home. So as I pulled into the driveway, sometimes my kids would stand in front of my car and, and dance because they were glad that dad was home and I had to stop my car. If I was able to make it into the garage, they would open the door of my car and pile in before I could get my stuff and, and get out because they were excited to see their dad. If I made it into the garage and out of the car and into the house, they would just jump on top of me because they wanted to see their father. I think this is a beautiful picture of what 
Jesus is talking about here of not just waiting till dad gets home, not just waiting for God, but pursuing him, going after him, finding him. These kids of mine, they came after me, and now they've grown up, and now they just sit inside and wait for me to come in, so (laughs) still glad to see dad home, though. In Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, seeking God involves pressing forward. It's an active pursuit of him and his ways. The second thing, about seeking is that it includes an intentional plan. It includes an intentional plan. We're intentional about a lot of things in life. If it's important, we plan for it. Retirement is a great example. Our kids' college tuition is another great example. Purchasing a home is a great example. We put a lot of thought and planning into these things. Seeking God means that you make an intentional plan for pursuing him. So I talked about my car just a few minutes ago. In regards to a vehicle, let's take this picture. Active pursuit is when you punch the gas. You don't just sit there, you go after God. The intentional plan is when you grab a hold of the steering wheel and you control your direction and your intentional in using it. That's what a plan is. It, it, it is. it is saying, I'm, I'm focused, as Paul was saying in Philippians, I'm focused, I've got my eyes on the goal, and I'm driving. My dad had an old farm truck. Now, this was, this was old, 1965, so it was before the F-150s came out. It was an F-100. Anybody, you remember those F-100s, the Ford F-100s? And um, now, I know that, that guys in younger generations won't understand this, but old vehicles had a lot of play in the steering wheel. Adults, can I get an amen here? You know what I'm talking about, right? So I, I would sit beside my dad as he's driving this old 1965 Ford F-100, and he would, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, he would drive like this, but the truck would go straight down the road. <laughs> and so... When I was 12 and my dad decided to teach me to drive, he put me in the family car and put me on a dirt road. I I grew up on a farm. Put me on a dirt road. I turned the the key and I was actively pursuing. I hit the gas and I started to do this because that's what I had seen. And I went from ditch to ditch and back again before he stopped the vehicle. But here's the thing, guys. When we're pursuing God, there's a lot of times that we end up in the ditch because we don't have a focus. We don't have a plan, and we're all over the place. One of the most valuable things that you can do is to get a plan. There are some wonderful Bible reading plans out there that help you stay focused. They help you have an object in front of you, and and you know what you're doing, and you're not getting up in the morning and just, um, maybe you guys have done it before, and you're like flipping through, and you're like, uh, right here, and that's where God's going to speak to you today, and oh, my breath is offensive to my wife. That's not what God was trying to speak to me that day, I guess. I mean, it it just doesn't work that way when you just kind of flip it open. Having an intentional plan 
is so valuable. The Bible, um, the Message Bible states this passage. I love it. And Philippians 3 that we just read says, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward. I'm off and I'm running and I'm not turning back. It's having a focus and pursuing him and going after him. You and I are called to intentionally pursue God's will and his purposes in our life above everything else. So throughout the Gospels, Jesus called many people to follow after him. And those people were called disciples. And disciple is uh, generally the, the term is used to describe a student of another person's teachings. And I think the word student is somewhat appropriate, and yet it falls far short of what Christ was calling these disciples to. He was calling them to be followers. And there's a very important distinction between a student and a follower. A student is somebody who learns theories and teachings, while a follower is someone who learns and then does. Scripture itself tells us in James chapter 1, verse 22, to be not only hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. And so from this word disciple, we get the term discipleship. And it's a word that's often used in churches. And here's a good definition of biblical discipleship. Discipleship is the process of learning the teachings of Christ, internalizing them and acting on them. Learning the teachings of Christ, internalizing them and acting on them. That's a disciple. And again, it falls, uh, the, the, the term student falls far short. Um, many of you guys have been students before. Most of you probably have been students. Some of you are students right now, so you can relate to this. There are some times when you take a class or a class is forced on you. You have to take the class. It wasn't your choice. And you study and you take the information in, but it's not that valuable to you, and you actually have no intention of internalizing it, and you take your exam, and then you do what everybody calls a brain dump, and you get rid of the information. You can relate to that, right? It's information that comes in, but it doesn't become a part of you. You needed it for an example, uh, an exam, and then there's a brain dump, and you dump that information. There is a lot of information that comes across our paths on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis, what we talk about in church, what we read in the word, is something that must be internalized. It must become a part of who we are, and it must be something that we act upon. And that's the difference of what Jesus is calling us to, to more than a student, but a follower, but a follower and so I, I want us to really be on the same page with this term discipleship because discipleship really is learning and becoming. It's learning and becoming. And we're going to look this morning at some key elements of discipleship when it comes to pursuing God. And the first one is that discipleship starts with a choice. It starts with the choice. And in this case, it's choosing to respond to an invitation from Jesus, come follow me. It's the same invitation that Jesus gave his disciples in John or in Matthew chapter 4. He approached a group of fishermen and he said, "Come follow me." I love what scripture says. It says they immediately dropped their nets and followed him. We pause a lot, don't we? We hesitate a lot. 
when Jesus speaks to us. I think this is a great model of what we're called to do immediately. They dropped their nets. They'd left everything, and they went after him. We choose a lot of things in life. Most things are minor, like cell phone plans or appetizers at restaurants. But every choice that we make, whether it's a big choice or it's a small choice, is based on a desire that we have. We choose things because somehow it resonates with us. It's what we want in the moment. And of all the choices that we make in this world, none are as important as the choice to follow Christ. That's where it all begins, saying yes to Jesus Christ and choosing him. Another key element of discipleship is that it builds through a relationship. The Bible tells us that there is nothing more important than relationships, relationships with God, relationships with others. In fact, Jesus said that those two things make up the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As Jesus spoke about this relationship with the Father, it's another one of those moments where we have to recognize that this includes learning about him and developing a relationship with him. When Jesus talks about the relationship with the Father, it's not a, a, a reading. It's not just a mental understanding. It is a connection of your heart with the heart of God. It's a relationship that he's talking about. Every time that the disciples listened to Jesus as they followed him, it fueled their pursuit of him. It built this relationship. As they learned more about him, as they watched him, as they followed him, they wanted to follow him more. As he healed the blind, as he raised the dead, as he healed the lepers, the love inside of them started to swell. They, they loved this man. They loved what he was doing. And it, it, they desired to know him even more. See, this discipleship, this growing closer to God is fueled through a relationship with him. In John 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He's talking about a relationship between a shepherd and the sheep. And don't miss this. This is a picture of Jesus and us, of our Lord, our shepherd, and us, his flock, that we know him, that we hear his voice. He knows us. We follow him. There's a, a relationship that is built here. There's another vital element of discipleship, and number, that is number three. It is sustained by discipline. In fact, the best way to look at this is in regards to habits. Habits. We all have them, and we all can form good habits. We can all form good habits. So last night, my wife and I had a conversation with our daughter, and we talked about what discipline is. And lots of times I like to be able to talk with my daughter and I like to be able to teach her of what it is that God calls a mom and a dad to be for their kids. And so last night we're talking about habits. And I said, Addison, 
you know what God has called mommies and daddies to? And she said, yes, to discipline their children. (laughs) And I said, actually, that's right on because discipline is not punishment. It's correction. It's teaching. It's allowing you to, to push past bad habits to the things that you want most in life. See, discipline is a great word, and it comes from the disciple. It's broken out of that that term, disciple and discipleship. We're learning, and sometimes learning requires correction, doesn't it? And that's why Scripture tells us that we should desire correction. Why? Because it gets us back on the right path. And so discipline is a great thing for us. And in order for us to grow and become more like Christ, Ephesians 4, tells us that we need to put off the old things that hinder us, these bad habits, and we need to put on the new. And it's been said that bad habits are easy to form, they're hard to live with, and they're hard to break. But good habits are hard to form, they're easy to live with, and they're easy to break. And our goal should be to develop good habits that help us to grow spiritually. Because there are some days when you're not feeling it. And let's be really transparent and honest. There are some days when you wake up and you're just not feeling it. And discipline is what pushes past the surface to reach the deep desires of your heart. So let's use a, let's use a physical exercise um, example here. If the deepest desire of your heart is to be in good shape, it's to be healthy, and one day you wake up and you are confronted with the evil desire of chocolate cake, and the flesh cries out for chocolate cake, just one or two or maybe even three, And it's in that moment when you really want chocolate cake that discipline kicks in and it says, but more than this desire of chocolate cake in the flesh, I want to be healthy. And you're able to discipline yourself and push past that fleshly desire and get to the thing that you want most. Listen, guys, sometimes the alarm clock goes off in the morning and the flesh is saying, just hit the snooze. Just hit the snooze. And your spirit is saying, but if I do, I'm not going to have time with the Lord this morning. And you feel that every day, don't you? And what is discipline? Discipline is not forcing ourselves to do something we don't want. It helps us to dig deep to the things that we desire most. That's what discipline is. Luke 9.23 says, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He's talking about daily discipline. Choosing daily the things that your heart desires most. And your relationship with God, this discipleship that we're talking about today, is sustained through discipline. It allows you to push past those other temptations to the thing that you desire most. Healthy habits can fuel your spiritual life. The habit of being in God's word and the habit of spending time with him in prayer fuels your spiritual life. And it's the spirit of God inside of us that helps make that possible. 
I love 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. How many could use a good dose of self-discipline? The great news is that it comes through the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit helps us keep on keeping on. It helps us to always be able to see Christ and to get through those other things. This morning I was talking with my wife about um, our youngest daughter, Brooklyn, who when she was a little bit younger, she's six right now, but when she's a little bit younger and we were teaching her to play hide and seek, all parents, you do that with, game with your kids, right? And it was in this season when she's probably three years old that, that um, we tell her to go hide and we're going to count. And so we count and we're going to count to 10 and we get seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, ready or not, here I come. And I say, where is Brooklyn? And Brooklyn jumps out, here I am, here I am. Listen, this is what's so beautiful about the Holy Spirit. When we're pursuing God and we're saying, where is God? The Holy Spirit's saying, here he is, here he is. We're not going to miss him. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He's this um, beautiful, wonderful, horrible hide-and-seek player. Like, that's not what he's about. He's not about hiding things. He's about revealing things. He's about showing you. He's about helping you. He's about helping you learn what that self-discipline is and saying, here's what you desire most. Here's God. He's not hiding. He's, He's revealing it. And then number four, discipleship produces passion. The fruit of a relationship with God is passion. There's a somewhat older chorus based on Deuteronomy 4.29 that says, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. The more that we seek after God and we build this relationship, it produces love and passion inside that fuels us even more because discipleship breeds desire in your life. The more you know him, the more you want him. Isaiah 26, 8 is a beautiful passage that says, Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. For your name and your renown are the desires of our hearts. See, God created you to be passionate. He created you to be desirous. And then he gave you life. He created that passion and then he fulfilled it. He created that desire and then he fulfilled it. As we close here, I want to take this last moment. As we've looked at maybe a human perspective of discipleship, I want to take a moment just just for a little bit here, and I want to look at God's perspective of discipleship. Because the, the way that God views discipleship is just pure joy. It is pure joy. The way that he sees discipleship is that he is getting you into the position that he created you for. And it's joy to him. The way he sees discipleship is walking and talking with his creation, and it's joy to him. The way that he sees discipleship is that he is able to shape you and mold you into the image of his son, and it's joy to him. The way that he sees discipleship is that this is years. It's the culmination of years of his passionate investment in your life, and it is absolute joy to him. 
the most important factors in discipleship are spending time in God's word and in prayer. And this is where we talked about the habits a few moments ago. Developing the habit of being in God's word is the most important role that your church can play for you. It's not a Sunday service. It's not a small group. It's not kids' ministry. It's not men's groups. It's you developing a habit of personally being in God's word. It's the most valuable thing that a church can do for you. Also, developing a habit of prayer, communing with God, It's a beautiful passage, John 8, 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. See, God's word was not given to us for our information. It was given to us for our transformation. It breathes life. It's not like any other book. You You could easily take this And you could say this is lifeless paper and ink. But you could pick up any Bible, and I would argue with you about that. This is a living piece in front of us. It produces life, and it is life. And then Scripture tells us that the Word became flesh in Jesus Do not make the mistake of thinking that this is like any other book in your home or in your library. The most important thing that you can do is get into this transformational book, God's own words. So powerful. And now I close my notes and I have to open them and find where I was at again. Sometimes you question the examples you give, huh? God's word will change us. It'll shape us because it is transformational. And then prayer we talked about just a minute ago. Ian Bounds said, it's the greatest of all forces because it honors God and it activates him. John 15 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you will ask for anything according to my will and you'll have it. And some people, it's hard to spend more than two minutes in prayer. It's same with with reading through the word. You need a plan. You need a, a strategy. There are prayer models that can help you learn how to pray. Listen, I get it. Jesus said, here's how to pray, and he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And how long does it take us to read the the Lord's Prayer? Less than two minutes, and then what do you say? The Lord's Prayer is actually a prayer model that you can study and you can learn, and the Lord's Prayer itself could help you pray for an hour just going through it because it's not just about reciting words. It's about your heart connecting with the Father. That's what's so powerful about prayer. Your spirit is connecting with the Spirit of God. Don't tell me that something powerful is not going to happen when you tap into the Spirit of God. It is so powerful. People who have learned to pray have learned the greatest secret of a holy and a happy life. So your devotions, spending personal time in God's Word, personal time in prayer, is where your relationship with God is formed. And there's an old Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Listen, the best time to start a devotional life was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Don't let something stop you. 
Don't let something convince you that it's not important enough. Don't let something become first in your life other than seeking God. As we close today, I want to circle back to the question that Simon Peter asked, where else will we go to find eternal life? There's a lot of things you can pursue in this world that promise life, but Scripture tells us they end in emptiness, and it goes as far as to say the opposite of life. It ends in death. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And that is where it all begins, saying yes to Jesus, choosing him. And if you want to do that today, I want to give you a moment, an opportunity right now to do that. So if you guys would just bow your heads and close your eyes. If that's you and you're ready to just choose Jesus, I invite you to pray these words with me today. You can say, Lord Jesus, I choose you today. I choose you today. I ask that you'll come into my life, that you'll be my Lord and my Savior. And I believe, Lord, that you died for my sins, but that you also rose up from the grave to bring me new life. And so today I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would indeed become the Lord and Savior of my life, and you would give me the power to live for you and pursue you all the days of my life. Amen. As we're closing now, Here's my question, and then we'll do the second prayer. Here's my question. What might be stopping you right now from saying, I am seeking the kingdom first? What might be stopping you? Is there something else that has somehow snuck its way into the priority of that top spot. If that's the case, right now, take care of business. Only he will bring us life. Only pursuing him is where we're going to find our identity and our purpose. It's all wrapped up in him because when we find him, we find life. Let's pray as we close today. Lord, once again, we just we say that we choose you, the source of life, and we do commit to seek you first, to seek your will and your purposes for our lives, and we ask now that your Holy Spirit would help us as we pursue you. It's in your name that we ask it, and all God's people said, amen.